You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. weeks ago, we started kind of looking at some characteristics that can kind of move us backwards in our relationship with God and with others. And we've been looking at some things that can kind of move us forward in our relationship and our walk with God. And as I said last week, I mean, we're always going either backwards or forwards in our walk and our relationship with God. We're never standing still. We're never just stationary. And so we started off by talking about kindness the importance of kindness and the importance of being kind toward others just as God has been kind toward us even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of the cross, God still showed his kindness toward us. Last week we talked about negativity and we looked at how a whole nation kind of ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Instead of taking the land that God had promised them and going in and conquering it, they decided they were just gonna kind of be negative about it. And one of the fallouts of that negativity was they were just left to wander there in the wilderness for 40 years. The video we kind of just saw, again, focusing on gossip. Again, it's another sin that will detrimentally affect our relationship with God and with others. So this morning, I want to talk about another characteristic that I think can, you know, have kind of a detrimental effect on our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, and that is envy and jealousy. How many of you remember your very first car? How many of you remember that? Yeah, most of us, if you have a car, you kind of remember that very first car you got. Now, I I bought my very first car sight unseen. Big mistake, let me tell you. I was about 17. I had, you know, a good enough job at that time that I felt like I was ready to take on the responsibility, you know, of a car payment and repairs and all of that. The problem was I really didn't know enough about cars um, to go out and find one on my own. It just the idea of doing that just was not very appealing to me. I just felt like I didn't know really what to look at, what to test, you know, what to try to figure out, if this was a good car, if this is a lemon. And so my dad offered to help me in finding a car, so I took him up on his offer. So one day he came home from work and he was telling me about a friend of his at work uh, who had a car he was trying to sell. My dad had seen it and he said, you know, it's in very, very good condition, uh, no rust, had really kind of low miles, was in a, in a garage its whole life. Now, now back in, you know, when I was 17, that was a big deal. Not everybody had garages, you know, like we do today. So he said, you know, the guy has taken really good care of it. The interior was really like new, you know, uh, low mileage. I mean, it was everything you would ever want in a used car. This had it. And my dad looked at the car. He thought, you know, it was a good deal. The price was right. So I said, yeah, let's do it. So we went to the bank, got the loan, took the money and gave it to the guy. We went to pick up the car. Uh, So we get to this guy's house. We go out to his garage. He opens the door to the garage and there sits the car. I wanted to die. 
It was the ugliest car I had ever seen in my life. I know I had to work very hard just to conceal the look of horror that must have been on my face. It looked like something, and no offense to grandma and grandpas out there, but it looked like something my grandparents would drive. It was everything my dad said it was and more, but it was so ugly. I wanted to tell the guy no thanks, but I did not want to hurt anyone's feelings, especially my dad. My dad worked so hard and my dad was so happy he had found this car for me. And this car was a 1968 Plymouth Valiant. I know some of you are out there thinking, you know, <laughs> now to be honest, you know, even if I would have asked him, you know, what is the make and the model on this? And he, and he could have told me, and I just didn't know enough about cars that it would have made any different. I mean, I would have kind of thought Plymouth Valiant, Valiant, that sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? I knew nothing about cars. I'm just assuming my dad would kind of pick out a cool car. It never dawned on me to go and first look at the car before I agreed to buy it. I remember backing that thing out of that garage, down that driveway, praying somebody would T-bone me and just total <laughs> the car completely. I hated that car. Every time I saw that car, I wanted to kick myself. To make matters worse, the car was in such great shape. No matter what I did to abuse that car, it never phased the car. Everything I tried to bring that car to an early demise never worked. I had that car for over five years. The problem was all of my other friends had really cool, cool cars. And the problem was no one ever wanted to ride in my car. Whenever we would go somewhere, I would say, I'll drive. And they said, no, thanks. No one wanted to be seen in that thing. I was so embarrassed driving it around. And people were constantly asking me, did you like borrow that from your grandparents? I was so envious and jealous of, of everyone else and their cars. And just to illustrate how envious I was of everyone else's car compared to mine, this Plymouth Valiant was green. <laughs> the green color, in a lot of ways, reflected my envy and jealousy of everyone else's cars. So much so that when that Plymouth Valiant finally, thankfully, died, I immediately went out and bought a Datsun 280ZX two-seater with the removable T-bar roof, racing wheels, total chick magnet. As a matter of fact, that was the car I was driving when I met Janie, proof that it worked. <laughs> now Shakespeare kind of calls envy, he kind of calls it a green sickness. Again, because green really is all about envy. Not everything, you know, green is bad. I mean, there is a good kind of green. I mean, green looks good on the back of the winner of the Masters Golf Tournament. The Green Bay Packers, you know, St. Patrick's Day. Or a $100 bill. Oh, did I get some uh, golfing over the Packers? But the kind of green we want to avoid is the green of envy. There's a saying that, Often people say, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. 
That saying is all about envy, and it's ugly. Time and time again, God in his word calls jealousy and envy ugly. So really, what is envy? Envy is being sad over someone else's success, or it's becoming a fan, a cheerleader of another person's failure. That's what envy is. In Galatians 5, the word envy in the original language is the, is the word phonos. And, and it's feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing the advantage or the prosperity of others. And again, if we're not wise, envy will erode all of the good stuff that God wants to do in our lives. Envy will diminish the effectiveness in our lives, and that's why God in his word warns us to stay away from it. Proverbs 14.30 says, a, peace, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 27.4 says, anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but envy is more dangerous. Now, some Bible translations will use the word jealousy and, and envy interchangeably. Jealousy and envy, you know, are very, very close to one another. They're almost kind of synonymous, but there is a slight difference. See, jealousy is when you have all that you ought to have, but you still want what someone else has. That's jealousy. Envy is when you want something someone else has that you don't have. Now, they may not be, you know, twin brothers, but, you know, envy and jealousy are definitely kissing cousins, okay? As a matter of fact, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, you're going to find envy and jealousy are listed there with, you know, less than desirable friends such as sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, anger, self-ambition, uh, dissension, division, drunkenness, and wild parties. So it, it's not something, you know, that's really listed with a lot of other admirable qualities. Did you know that really jealous, jealousy and envy was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus? That's true. Matthew 27, 18 says that Pilate had Jesus delivered over to be crucified for Pilate knew that the Pharisees, the chief priest, had handed Jesus over because of envy. The first murder recorded in human history when Cain killed his brother Abel, it was all because of jealousy and envy. Abel's offering to God was accepted. Cain's was not. Envy and jealousy does kill. It kills marriages. It kills friendships. It kills opportunities. It kills families. One of Satan's biggest weapons to take a blessing and to turn it into a burden is the curse of envy and jealousy. There's an ancient fable that Satan's emissaries were trying to tempt a holy man who lived in the uh, desert to sin, but as they tried, they could not get him to do it. Nothing would take away the joy in this man's heart. Angered by their failure, Satan kind of steps forward and he says, okay, boys, let me show you how this is done. And he kind of begins to whisper in the holy man's ear. And he says, your brother has just been made bishop 
of Alexandria. And instantly, a malignant scowl clouded the holy man's face, and his joy was gone. And Satan said, envy and jealousy is always the final weapon for those who seek holiness. Envy and jealousy is indeed a terrible, it is a powerful monster, but it can be slain if you use the right strategy. So this morning, I want to kind of just talk about some strategies that we can use uh, to slay and to come against the sin of jealousy and envy. The first strategy is you've got to confront the problem of envy and jealousy. Listen again to Proverbs 27, 4, and I want to do this from a different translation. And there it says, we're blasted by anger and swamped by rage, but who can survive envy? If we're not careful, envy and jealousy can overtake us without much warning. Just stop and kind of think about the following situations and how these really oftentimes have the potential to make us envious and jealous. Your best friend makes the football team, you don't. Your colleague gets the promotion, gets the pay raise at work, you don't. Your neighbor buys a bigger home, you can't. Your friend drives a nicer car that you can't afford. It even happens to a pastor who hears a better preacher or maybe goes and visits a bigger church. In fact, I want to be honest with you. I think one of the greatest problems we pastors face is the problem of envy and jealousy when it comes to our churches. Unfortunately, so many pastors, they're just kind of enamored with numbers, numbers of attenders, numbers related to giving, numbers of programs. And we think a person who has a bigger church must be a better pastor. Though it's really not true, bigger is not necessarily better, and the grass is not always greener. It's interesting whenever you're with a group of pastors, particularly, you know, pastors that you maybe haven't met before or you don't know really well, inevitably it does not take long in the conversation before one of them will say, how big is your church? And again, oftentimes we think, you know, the size determines success. Pastor author Tony Campolo was once at a pastor's conference and was talking to another pastor who asked him that question, how big is your church? And Campolo responded by saying, oh, we average between three to 4,000 a week. The pastor kind of, you know, nodded his head, you know, pretty affirmingly, pretty impressed at, you know, the size of Campolo's church. A little while later, Tony's talking to another pastor, and the question comes up again, how big is your church? To which, you know, Campolo responded, oh, we get around 350 people a week. Well, unbeknownst to him, this other pastor that he had talked to earlier was kind of standing nearby and overheard uh, his admission and immediately kind of questioned him and said, you told me earlier that your church was between three and 4,000. And Campolo said, well, 350 is between three and 4,000. <laughs> Again, the temptation is to think if you have a big church, you must be doing something right. You must be a successful pastor. You must have an awesome church. And again, it is so tempting to always want to be looking around at other churches where good things seem to be happening and you can become anxious and jealous and envious of of them and what God seems to be doing there. But I'll guarantee you, 
I've been in this long enough. At some point, every church, every pastor struggles. Every church, every pastor hits speed bumps. Every church, every pastor hits rough patches. I've often heard it said, the bigger the church, often the bigger the problems. And that's true. I heard about a pastor who was visiting the mental institution, and there was a man in there who was just constantly banging his head up against the wall. And the man said, what is wrong with that guy? And he said, oh, he's the Baptist preacher who wanted to go to the first Baptist church, but another man got it. They go to the next door, and there too was a man in a straight jacket banging his head against the wall. And he said, who is that man? And he said, oh, that was the preacher that got the job at First Baptist Church. (laughs) Here's the thing. Envy is not only a problem in the pulpit. It is a problem in the pews. There is envy and jealousy and competition between members in the same church, between churches in the same town. You hear it all the time, you know, pastors are complaining that another church is stealing their sheep. There's even denominational envy, where entire denominations may be envious of other denominations because a particular denomination is doing better than they are. It happens all the time. There was a member of a Presbyterian church whose family member died while the pastor was out of town. And the family went to the local Methodist minister and asked if he could conduct the funeral. Man, the pastor said, I'd have to check with my bishop. So he called his bishop and said, is it all right for me to bury a Lutheran? The Methodist bishop responded and said, sure, bury all the Lutherans you can. (laughs) Denominational envy story of two cows who were grazing in a pasture when they saw a milk truck pass by. On the side of the truck were the words pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, vitamin A milk. With envy, one cow looked at the other one and said, sort of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? And that's what envy does. Oftentimes it can make us feel very inadequate that we don't measure up. So you gotta start just by confronting the problem of envy and jealousy. Second strategy is you gotta consider the poison. Understand the poison that is a part of envy and jealousy. Remember again, Proverbs 14, 30, a sound heart is life to the body. A good heart, a sound heart, it is life to the body. But envy is rottenness to the bones. Now think about what he's saying. He says, envy, jealousy, it is rottenness to the bone. Bones are on the inside of you. In other words, envy and jealousy, it is so corrosive that it will rot you from the inside out. There's a story about two shopkeepers who were very, very bitter rivals They owned stores right across the street from one another, and they would spend every day kind of keeping track of each other's business. If one man got a customer, he would smile and wave really big at his rival across the street, kind of taunting him. And one night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers in a dream, and he said, I'll give you anything you ask for, whatever you ask for. But whatever you receive, Your competitor, the guy across the street, 
will receive twice as much. You want to be rich? You can be rich, but your competitor will be twice as, twice as wealthy. Do you want to live a long and a healthy life? Just ask for it. But the guy across the street is going to live twice as long and be twice as healthy. So what is your desire? The man frowned, thought for a moment, and he said, here is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. That is the destructive power of envy and jealousy. Interesting, many times criticism. When, when we're critical of other people, it really is the outward manifestation of envy and jealousy. Studies have been repeatedly done in this area, and what they find is we tend to attribute our own success to positive internal traits that we have, such as our ability, our effort. And we kind of, you know, attribute our failures to outside factors that are beyond our control. But on the other hand, we tend to attribute the success of others to pure luck and their failures to their inabilities, their lack of perseverance, or some other sh personal shortcoming. In other words, we blame our own failings on the outside situation while taking credit for our own successes, but we blame others' failings on their personal attributes while discrediting their successes. Why do we have that tendency? It's all a byproduct of envy and jealousy. I'll tell you again, envy and jealousy, it is a poison that will eventually and absolutely destroy your life. The upas tree grows in Indonesia and it secretes poison. It grows so full, so thick that it kills all of the vegetation that grows underneath it. In other words, it does give shelter and it does give shade, but it winds up eventually destroying everything around it. Envy and jealousy is the upas tree of life. It may initially give you comfort to put other people down, to be critical of other people because of your envy and jealousy. It may give you shelter and shade from the fact that you have not been able to accomplish perhaps what others have been able to accomplish or to accumulate what others have been able to accumulate. But in the end, it will eventually poison you through and through. The real problem with envy and jealousy is it will rob you of the peace you ought to have in your heart with the blessings of God in your life. Instead of being happy for the other person whom God has blessed, you become suspicious, resentful, and sometimes even angry. This is one reason why Paul tells us in Romans 12, 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Do you ever notice how difficult it is to rejoice in the successes and blessings of others if you are so full of envy and jealousy? There was once two men who were both seriously ill and they shared the same room in a hospital. It was a very small room, just large enough for the pair of them, two beds, two bedside lockers, a door opening into the hall and one window looking out on the world. 
One of the men, as part of his treatment, was allowed to sit up in bed for one hour every afternoon. And his bed was next to this window. One of the disadvantages of their conditions is they really weren't allowed to be up. They had to be flat on their backs with the exception of the one man who got to sit up for one hour every afternoon. And so every afternoon when this man next to the window was propped up for his one hour, he would spend the time kind of describing to the other man who couldn't see what he saw, he would just kind of begin to describe what was going on out there. Well, the other man, he began to live for this hour each day. This window apparently overlooked a park with a lake where there were ducks and swans, children throwing them bread, sailing boats, model boats, flying kites, young lovers walking hand in hand beneath the trees. There were flowers and green grass, games of softball and volleyball, people lying out in the sunshine, picnicking and reading, and all behind it was a fine view of the skyline of the city. Well, the other man on his back would listen to all of this and he would just relish and enjoy every moment. Just love being told about the beautiful outdoors and everything that was going on out there. In fact, it got to the place that in his mind's eye, he could almost see what was happening out there. Then one afternoon, there was a parade outside, and as this man was describing the parade as it passed by, the other man lying flat on his back began to think to himself, why should this man next to the window have all the pleasures of what is going on? Why shouldn't I get the chance? At first, he felt ashamed of the thought but the more he thought about it, the more angry he became and the more he wanted to change the situation. Within a few days, this man had turned totally sour, consumed by his anger, convinced he ought to be the one next to the window. He brooded and couldn't sleep and he grew more seriously ill, which none of the doctors could figure out why. Then one night, as he stared at the ceiling, the other man, the one next to the window, suddenly woke up coughing and choking, the fluid congesting in his lungs, his hands groping for the button that would have brought the nurse running, but he couldn't find it. The other man lying there next to him could have helped him, but didn't make a move. Just watched. The coughing and choking went on and on. The longer it went on, the worse it got. Suddenly the man quit breathing and died while the other man just continued to lie there staring at the ceiling. Eventually one of the nurses came in to check on the two men and found the other man by the window dead. They took his body away and as soon as they came back, the man asked, could I be moved to that bed next to the window? They obliged, so they moved him, they tucked him in, made him quite comfortable and let him let him alone to be quiet and still. Excitedly, the moment they left the room and left him alone, he propped himself up on one elbow just to get a look out that window, only to find that it faced a blank wall. Envy and jealousy is a poison that will rob you of the blessings God has given you. Thirdly, consider and conquer the power 
of envy and jealousy. One of the keys to overcoming envy and jealousy is found in Philippians 4.11. And here Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am in to be content. If you believe you are where God wants you to to be, if you believe you are who God wants you to be, if you believe you have what God wants you to have, then you have no reason to be envious and jealous of what someone else has, of who someone else is, or where someone else is. Do you know what envy and jealousy really is? It's rebellion. It is ingratitude against God's providential leading in your life. If you're envious, if you're jealous, what you're really saying is, God, you have no right to bless someone else more than you have blessed me. We all need to take a lesson from Moses. Moses was a man of God. Moses led the nation of Israel, and God had multiplied his ministry so much so that that God brings in 70 elders who were given the gift of prophecy. Two of those elders, Eldad and Medad, were particularly gifted, and they just began prophesying throughout the camp. On one of those occasions in Numbers 11, a young man came running to Moses and told him the news. And this young man by the name of Joshua said to Moses, my Lord, he he hears the prophetic being given there. And he says to Moses, my Lord, restrain them. Listen to the wisdom Moses gives in verse 29. He said, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses knew how to rejoice in the success of other people. You know, we all need to ask God to give us the ability to say amen in another man's revival. Someone has well written and said, it is a good test to the rise and fall of egotism to notice how you listen to the praises of other men of your own standing until you can listen to the praises of someone else without any desire to indulge in detraction or any attempt to belittle his work. You may be sure there is an unmortified prairie of egotism, of egotistic impulse in your nature yet to be brought under the grace of God. I'm convinced one of the keys, one of the antidotes, one of the solutions to envy and jealousy is contentment. To be satisfied with where you are. Be satisfied with who you are. Be satisfied with what you have. An indicator, a sign of how spiritually mature you really are is how thankful are you for all that God is doing and has done in your life and the life of others. Again, rejoice in the blessing of others. Be joyful for all that God is doing in the lives of other people. Rejoice in all that God is giving to other people. Take time to weep. Take time to encourage. Take time to pray for those who are struggling. It's one surefire way of keeping the destructive work of envy and jealousy from destroying God's blessings in your life. Amen? 
Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.